0: Thank you for listening to CG Life with Steve Kortz. It's my hope that today's message will help you find and live the extraordinary life Jesus gives. After listening to this podcast, I'd like to invite you to connect with me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram for more updates and resources. Well, it's great to see you on this Sunday morning. I want to remind you of something that's coming just right on the corner. This Saturday is one of our two annual church serve days where we seek to be bright lights in dark places, some of the darkest places in our community. Uh, you have received or will receive a, a QR code. It will give you an opportunity to sign up for this. We have a number of different partners we're working with from elementary schools in Davie and Forsyth counties, as well as some of our key ministry partners throughout our region. One of the things I've shared with you uh, in Recent weeks is the impact that uh, it had on my life as a young boy to go with my father and serve the needs of others in the name of Jesus, and what a mark that left on me! What an impression it it, uh, left on me! And I want to encourage those of you who are parents to uh, bring your children. Let us know that your kids are coming. Bring your kids with you and serve with us this Saturday, Uh, if. If you don't have kids, you're more than welcome to come. We'll send you to the harder things. If you do have kids, we'll send you to the easier things. If you want to do something easy, borrow someone's kids and bring them with you and do the easier thing. But sign up with us and join us as we seek to be bright lights in a dark place this Saturday. This Saturday, I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 10. We'll be looking together at verses 22 through 30. John chapter 10, verses 22 through 30. The scripture says, beginning in verse 22, at the time, or at that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter. And Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. And the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them and said, I told you, and you did not or do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hands. I and the father, Jesus says, are one. Now, Father, as we gather around your word this morning and as we break your word this morning and uh, share it, my prayer is that we will have the help of your Holy Spirit, that uh, those who need assurance and encouragement will find it, that others who need a fresh season of spiritual uh, evaluation will find that as well. Father, may your will be done as we gather and as we explore your word. Grant, Father, that there would be assurance that would come from this time together and disturbance as well, wherever it is needed, would you work? We pray and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I had the opportunity this weekend to... Uh, have all three of my grandkids with me. too are from Dallas, Texas, and so it's a, an unusual thing to have them, but we had them, and uh, we had a great time together. One of the things we got to do was to go to the Wake game last night and see Wake Forest defeat Notre Dame, and that was a great day. That was a great night. I enjoyed that. They enjoyed it. We had to leave a little early, though, because, well, you know, when you're eight and five, well, it, the time runs a little faster. And when you're 62 and you got to preach, time runs a little faster. So three of us left a little bit early. One of my grandsons was sick, so he wasn't able to go. We dropped off uh, uh, my granddaughter. And then I had my five-and-a-half-year-old grandson in the car with me going from uh, west side of Winston-Salem to uh, down I-40. We were heading home. And uh, little Sellers is well. Let's just say he is Sellers. He loves to sing. He loves to have attention, and so he sings, and and he gets all kinds of attention. Never met a stranger. I lost him twice at the uh, basketball game. Uh, scared me to death. Found him both times. Um, he just he's that tall, and he disappears. Uh, So we we had a great time, but he was in the car and and he he starts singing and uh, his first song, his first rendition was Old Town Road. And I don't know if you know that song, but if you know that song, it's a song, once you've heard it, you can't get it out of your head. Well, he sang that, I think it's the kid's pop version of Old Town Road, and I said to him, I said, Sellers, why do you like that song? And he said, because it's got horses in it. And I said, well, that's good. I said, what part of it do you like the, the most? What part of that song do you like the very best? And he says, can't nobody tell me nothing. That's the part I like the most. Can't nobody tell me nothing. And I thought, well, okay, you are a a son of Adam and Eve. Uh, You are the son of your father. You are the son of your grandfather. We're a whole bunch of us, can't nobody tell us nothing. And I said, well, okay, that's great. Uh, How about we sing some songs about Jesus? And he said, yeah, let's do that. And I said, great. I said, what do you wanna sing? Well, he said, let's sing about that wee little guy. And I said, who's the wee little guy? He said, you know, the wee little guy Jesus met, the wee little guy. Oh, I said, Zacchaeus. He said, yeah, let's sing about Zacchaeus. So we sang about Zacchaeus, the wee little guy. And uh, then he, he changed and he said, now let me sing you a song uh, that mommy and I sing every night before I go to bed. And I said, now that's good. This is getting better than Can't Nobody Tell Me Nothing. And I said, so we'll sing that song. And he said, okay, I'm gonna sing that song. And he sang the song. It was a song I'd never heard before. The song went like this. If you love Jesus, you'll live. If you don't love Jesus, you'll die. And if God's not happy, we all die. I, I said, Sellers, I don't think that's a real song. He said, yes, it is. I said, I don't think, I don't think that's a real song you and mommy sing. He said, we do. And I thought, okay, no truer statement of human theology has probably ever been stated. That's the way very many of us see God and and have always seen him. That is, if we're going to have life, we must make God happy. If we don't make God happy, we will never have life. And of course, that is a uh, lie that Jesus corrects in an extraordinary way. But that is the perspective of so many people. It is actually the perspective I've witnessed that creeps into the lives of many believers as well. I've known and seen believers over the years who struggle with one of three questions. The uh, first question that many believers struggle with who don't fully, completely uh, comprehend and own the gospel of Jesus is, have I done enough? There are those who have walked an aisle, raised a hand, said a prayer. And they're never quite sure if what they've done is enough. The assumption is that somehow salvation involves me and what I must do. Have I done enough? A second question that many believers ask is, am I doing enough? As if my salvation somehow depends, am I doing a certain number of right things after I have received Christ? Am I doing enough? A third set of question, or a third question that I find some believers asking is, "Am I enough?" There are believers that I've met over the years who have had paths of which they're very much ashamed. They've done things they wish they had never done, said things they wish they'd never said been places they wish they'd never been, and they cannot seem to get those things that they've done, places they've been, things they've said, out of their heads, and consequently, Satan uses it against them, and they ask constantly, am I enough as I am, given all that I've done? Will God ever really receive me? Am I ever enough? And of course, we know none of these questions are in the end, really good questions because we aren't enough, but Christ is more than enough. It's not about what we do or don't do, it is always about what Christ has done at the end. And yet, this assumption that somehow, sung so eloquently by a five and a half year old last night, late in the night, that if God's not happy, we all die, that assumption still lingers in our hearts and our minds. We come this morning and have before us one of Jesus' most celebrated teachings. In it he provides answers to two sets of questions that all professing believers should ask and many do ask. Those questions are these. How can I know that I belong to Christ? And how can I be sure? And secondly, can I be sure that my faith in Christ will not fail? Can I lose my salvation and finally be lost in the end? Now, I want you to see with me the setting for our passage this morning in verse 22, given to us there, is Jerusalem in the winter, sometime around December. The city is holding what is known as the Feast of Dedication. It was a feast celebrating the the revolt and ultimate victory of Judas Maccabeus over the Syrian emperor Antiochus Epiphanes in 165 B.C. It also celebrated the rededication of the temple after Antiochus desecrated it by erecting in it an altar to Zeus and sacrificing pigs there in defiance of Israel and in defiance of Israel's God. And so for the Jews, this was a feast that celebrated victory and freedom and restoration, as well as the celebration, it involved the celebration of a hero sent from God to intervene on behalf of his people. And now here in our passage, we see Jesus walking through the temple in Solomon's portico, a long covered open gallery. This is his last visit to the temple and his last visit to Jerusalem before he returns to the city for Passover and his death on a cross four months later. Here in Solomon's portico, Jesus is spotted, he is surrounded, and he's stopped by the Jewish leadership. This is not a friendly encounter. This is a hostile encounter. And we see the hostility in the question and demand that they make of Jesus in verse 24. The question, how long will you keep us in suspense? is a question that can be legitimately translated from the original language. How long will you keep annoying us? How, will you, how long will you keep bothering us? How long will you keep troubling us? And then they make the demand, if you are the Christ, say you are the Christ. Tell us now, are you the Christ or are you not? Well, Jesus has acknowledged that he is the Christ privately, for example, to the woman at the well. He's acknowledged that he's the Messiah. He never acknowledges that he's the Messiah in public. This is understandable because the public expectation in his day for the Messiah was that the Messiah would be political and that he would be military, and he would have political and military consequences. These uh, people, the people surrounding Jesus, uh, the people of his day, were looking for a better, greater Judas Maccabeus, a greater, better hero who would do once and for all what Judas had done, bring victory over their enemies, restore God's rule and God's people to a place of freedom and safety. And of course, the irony of it all is that God's Messiah was actually right there. He's actually walking in the temple, that God's greater and better Messiah, God's greater and better leader is right there before the Jewish leaders, and they cannot, they will not, they do not recognize him. Their ambition, their goal by getting Jesus to confess or to admit that he is the Christ is to attack him and take his life. If, that, if, if they can't do that, they want to report him to the Roman authorities as an insurrectionist, so the Romans will take his life. So here, here is God's Messiah. Here is God's greater, better leader walking among them and they cannot see him, they do not know him, as is so often the case, they cannot see him and they do not know him because he is not the kind of Messiah they want. It's still true of us today. If the Messiah we're looking for is not the Messiah that is, we miss him every time and we wind up looking for a very different savior. Tell us, are you the Christ or are you not? And yet, despite what the leaders say, Jesus hasn't really been coy about who he is. As he puts it in verse 25, do you see it? He says, I told you and you did not believe. The works that I do in my father's name bear witness about me. In other words, Jesus insists, I've already told you and I've shown you who I am. He's told them who he is with all of the metaphors he's used to describe himself, bread and living water and life and light and especially the metaphor of a good shepherd, which we see in chapter 10, our very chapter in verses 1 through 16. All of these, one way or another, are used in the Old Testament to describe the Messiah that God would send. Micah 5, for example, describes the Messiah to come as the ideal shepherd, one who leads and feeds and guards and guides the people of God as a great king. That's not all. Not only is Jesus pointed to himself with his words, but he's also pointed to who he is with his deeds. These great claims to, these, to his great claims have been added, great deeds done in the name of the Father that prove who he is. Every lame person made to walk, every blind person made to see, every crowd fed, every sick person healed, pointed to his identity as the Messiah, come from the Father. The Jews, though, they want him to claim the title because they want him dead. So Jesus says in verse 25, I told you, I showed you, and you do not believe And the reason why you don't believe, verse 26, you don't believe because you're not part of my flock now. Jesus returns right here to the shepherd and sheep metaphors that he's already used in verses 1 to 16. And there he describes himself as the good shepherd who leads, feeds, guards, and guides his sheep. Here in our passage for the morning, he describes his sheep. And he describes them as God's true people. And he does it in sharp contrast. He says to the uh, Jewish leaders, essentially this. He says, you think you're God's people, but you're not God's people. You are not part of my flock because you don't believe. Let me tell you who God's people are. Let me show you who God's people are. And that is precisely what he does in in the verse that we're going to be spending our time on today, verse 27. But it's right here that he picks up these metaphors again of, of, of a shepherd and of sheep. And he gives us answers to those questions that every professing believer should ask and many do ask. How can I be sure that I belong to Christ? How can I be sure that I'm saved, that I'm one of his flock? Can I be sure that my belonging to him will last? Can my salvation by this shepherd ever be lost? If it is lost, how is it lost? If it is kept, how is it kept? Notice with me how Jesus answers these questions. What he does is he gives us a kind of a test and he gives us also a kind of striking picture. First, he provides a kind of test for true sheep and then he provides a powerful picture of their destiny and security. But today, we're going to look at the test. We're going to look at the test for true sheep. That kind of test is called for in the New Testament. Paul says, for example, in 2 Corinthians 13, 5 and 6, he says to professing believers, don't assume that you know him. Make sure that you know him. He says, examine yourselves to see whether you are actually in the faith. Test yourselves. Or don't you realize this about yourselves that Christ is in you? Unless, of course, you fail to meet the test. So I want you to see with me, and I want us to spend some time together at the test. Jesus gives us the test. He also gives us the answers in verse 27. Here, the question, how can I be sure that I belong to Christ, that I'm one of his flock is given in a set of answers that come in the form of three conditions that true sheep with saving faith all share. In contrast to the unbelief of the Jewish leaders, Jesus says, verse 27, do you see it? My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. The Jewish leaders don't believe, they don't belong, and the proof is that they don't listen. And they, and he doesn't know them, and they don't follow him. But his sheep, his true sheep, they hear. His true sheep are known. His true sheep follow. And these are the criteria and proofs that someone is a true sheep who belongs and believes. Now, before we look at these three conditions or criteria that all true believers share, I want to point something out to you. In the original language, these three statements are presented in such a way as to convey that they are uh, regular and consistent. So what Jesus is saying is, my true sheep, those who are mine, they hear and they keep hearing they are known and I continually know them and they follow and they keep following. What he's conveying is a pattern that does not end in the life of a genuine follower of his. They are regularly and continually hearing, regularly and continually being known by him and regularly and continually following him. In other words, the faith of a true sheep in his flock is one of uh, persistence. Their faith is not perfect, but their faith is always persistent. It is persistent because it is permanent. So persistence is the theme that comes through what Jesus is saying. They may fade, they might fade from time to time, but their faith never ends. They are persistent not passing conditions. Let's look at each of these together this morning. The first criterion or evidence of a true sheep with saving faith is this. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. Earlier in verses three and four, you might look up to the beginning of the chapter. Jesus expands on this theme that those who are his hear him. They listen to his voice. He describes himself there as approaching the yard where all kinds of sheep are kept. He calls out to his sheep, maybe by name, but he calls out to his sheep and the sheep who are his hear him, listen to him and follow him out of the yard. He then makes his way ahead of them, leading them as they follow. Why? Jesus says it's because they know his voice. In other words, Jesus says they know his voice, they trust his voice, and so they listen to or heed his voice. What is more, Jesus says they will never follow a stranger because they don't recognize strangers' voices. So when it comes to true sheep with saving faith, when Christ speaks, a true sheep recognizes his voice as the voice of their own true shepherd, their source of life, their source of truth, their source of help. No other voice, and this is so important what Jesus is saying, no other voice has the impact on a true sheep like the voice of the shepherd There are all kinds of voices in this world. There are always people speaking to us, speaking at us, coming from all kinds of directions. But when you're a genuine follower of Christ, there is one voice, one voice that carries weight like no other voice. My sheep, Jesus says, they hear my voice. No other voice has the impact or the influence that his does when you're a genuine sheep of his. When Christ speaks, secondly, true sheep not only recognize his voice, but they trust his voice and they continually follow him, putting their very lives into his hands. A genuine follower of Christ is going to be listening to the voice of Christ, heeding the voice of Christ, and essentially saying yes to Christ, putting their life into his hands. The true sheep refuse to follow any other strange shepherd. Thirdly, they don't honor, nor do they submit to, nor do they trust strangers' voices. And all of this is true of them regularly and continually. Here's, here's something I need for you to see. True sheep don't simply hear Christ's voice and come to him once in a life. True sheep hear his voice and keep coming to him in all of life. A true sheep doesn't just come one time with a hand raised, just doesn't come one time down an aisle, doesn't just come one time to pray a certain prayer, but a genuine sheep, a genuine uh, uh, part of Christ's flock is someone who hears his voice, longs for his voice, seeks his voice, and does it in every area and aspect of their lives. They keep hearing They keep listening. They keep yearning. For they know that by his voice, by his word, he leads and he feeds. He guards and he guides. There is something in the heart and life of every true believer that cries out and says, I I must hear your voice. I must hear your voice. I need for you to lead me. I need for you to feed me truth. I need for you to speak into my life and guide me. I need for you to speak into my life and guard and protect me from the things that would hurt, uh, hurt me. I need to hear your voice. Now, it's true that a true sheep can wander. But it's also true that a true sheep can only wander for so long. Christ always goes after his wayward sheep. Have any of you had that experience? Yeah. It's one of the worst experiences and one of the best experiences all at the same time. Because when he comes after you, you know you're his. Do you know what I mean? If you can drift and wander and he never comes looking for you, it tells you something about your relationship. So a true sheep can wander, but only for so long. His true sheep will always heed and submit to the authority of his word. So they may wander into disobedience, but they won't stay there. He will speak and they will come to him. In the end, every true sheep knows and only trusts his voice. And so in this world of ours... There are and there always have been so many voices of shepherd like authority, many voices offering life and life abundant, many voices offering to lead, feed, guard, and guide us. But for the true sheep, there is only one flock that counts, and only one shepherd to follow, and only one voice worth hearing. True faith, true sheep with saving faith. Regularly and continually hear the good shepherd and honor him. And I want to pose to you a question. If you're a professing believer, you would say this morning, you say, I I am a follower of Christ. I I want to put a question to you this morning. Whose voice speaks loudest and longest? Whose voice speaks most persistently into your life? Whose voice gets your greatest attention? Whose voice has your greatest affection? For those who are genuinely His, there is no replacement for His voice. The second criterion or evidence of true sheep with saving faith is given by Jesus as this. He says, my sheep are known by me. True sheep are called and they hear the call. They answer the shepherd's call. And initially that brings them into a new relationship with him such that he knows them and he sees them and he owns them as his sheep and they know him. Verses 14 and 15 give us some helpful context to what Jesus says here. Jesus says in verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me. And I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. The emphasis of Jesus in the first 10 verses of this chapter is on the sheep knowing him. But here the emphasis is on his knowing the sheep. And the idea here includes the fact that the relationship that true sheep have with the shepherd is is a mutual relationship. It's a dynamic relationship. Mutual and dynamic like the the relationship the father and the son enjoy. A mutual relationship is, is one in which there is give and take where two people are pouring their lives into each other. A dynamic relationship is one where people are pouring into each other and the relationship is growing. The relationship is developing. That's the picture of the relationship that Jesus is describing when he says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just like my father and I know. It's mutual and it's dynamic. Now, what is happening here and what is important is for us to see that the, that while the Jewish leadership didn't know and will not own Christ as the Messiah, and while Jesus is, is saying he doesn't know and own them as part of his flock, verse 26, G, the point Jesus is making is true sheep know and they own Christ as their shepherd, and Jesus knows and owns them as his sheep. There is this give and take. There is this mutual sharing. There is this mutual understanding in in a healthy relationship. That's what he's picturing here. And so we can say that one of the criteria of a true sheep is that Christ knows them and owns them. And consequently, and this is important, they know, the sheep know that Christ knows them and owns them. And this is of course one of the most important truths for true believers. The the, the, uh, ability and, and, and the conviction that Christ knows me through and through and he owns me or he acknowledges me still. I know that he knows and owns me. This is always an evidence of a true believer. And a true believer in knowing that he knows and owns him or her revels in that and does so for very good reasons. Jesus says in John 6, 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And I love this, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And what this means is that when the Father opens our eyes to see Christ and draws us to him, everyone who is drawn to Christ in the drawing knows and feels the, the need for the salvation that he offers, but they also know that as they come to Christ, they come to him unclean and unworthy. And Jesus' great promise is, whenever the Father sends me someone, gives me another sheep for my flock. There is never a time when they come to me and I say, no, you don't meet my criteria. No, you don't meet my standard. No, your past is too bad. No, your actions are too heinous. There is never a time when Christ has someone come to him for salvation that he says, no, you don't make the cut. Everybody who comes to Christ makes the cut because Christ made the cut for them on the cross. No one is ever turned away. And here is the joy of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. The joy is that I have come to him. He knew who I was when I came to him. He knew my past. He knew my failures. He knew my flaws. And still he accepted me. He knew me. Still he owned me. Still he acknowledged me. Still, he welcomed me. And every genuine follower of Jesus knows that to be true and can say effectively, I am his, he is mine. I am his, he is mine. I don't deserve it, but I am his. He is mine. Hmm. I know He knows me, and I know He owns me, He claims me. He is not ashamed to call me His. And what this means is that true believers are humble when they read passages like 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11. Where Paul says to the Corinthians, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says, verse 11, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ And by the spirit of our God, he knew you, and still he took you. He knew you, and still he owned you. And this pattern of knowing that we are known and knowing that we are received and accepted, it, it remains true throughout the course of a believer's life. He still knows us. He still owns us. True sheep with saving faith know regularly, continually, that they are known and owned in spite of who they were and and are apart from Christ. They know that they are known and owned in spite of what they've done and what they might do. Now, the fact that true believers know that they're known by Christ is a truth that also comes with a great warning. We often ask people, do you know Christ? But the far better question is, does Christ know you? In Matthew 7, 21 to 23, Jesus shows the importance of this question rather graphically. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. The most important question that you can answer is not, do you know Christ? Because many of us know a lot about Christ. That is not the question. The real question is, do we know Christ intimately, personally? But the far better question is, does he know us? Does he know us? Now, I want to say to you, this passage and others like it aren't meant to make true believers anxious or worried. Indeed, the scriptures tell us we can know that we are known by him before that great final day comes. Elsewhere, the scripture tells us that those who belong to Christ and are part of his flock are given the Holy Spirit and that this spirit of his bears witness with our spirit that we are his, that we are children of God, that we are part of the flock, Romans 8 says. How does he do it? This, the spirit in us leads us and feeds us and guards us and guides us, shepherds us on behalf of Christ, and he does more. He causes and he enables true sheep to live for Christ in ways that they never did in ways that they never could and in ways they never would on their own. And so suddenly, we see that one of the ways in which we know that he knows us and that he owns us is simply by the kind of change that is at work in our lives that that allows us to know that he knows and owns us, that we are true sheep. It's by this inner witness and this work of the Holy Spirit that we have a real sense of change. Whenever I'm doing something I would not normally do, would not want to do. And suddenly I'm doing it and I'm doing it with delight. I know it's God. Do you know what I'm talking about? The good that I know I should do somehow that I would never have done on my own. Suddenly I'm doing because God is at work in me by his spirit for the sake of Christ. Now, It's by the inner witness of the Holy Spirit that we have a real sense of Christ's present fellowship and we're walking faithfully with him. There is a sweetness to life when you're walking with him. It almost almost beggars explanation. It's very hard to convey in words, but when you are a genuine follower of Jesus and you're walking with him, there is a sweetness to life. There's a joy. There's a delight. It's rich, it's deep, because he's rich and he's deep. At the same time, by the inner witness of the Holy Spirit, we also have a a real sense not only of Christ's presence fellowship when we're walking faithfully with him, but we also have a real sense of Christ's present correction and discipline in our lives when we're not walking with him. What true believer doesn't know by experience the truth of Hebrews 12? It says, my son, don't regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It's for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom, whom his father doesn't discipline? If you're left without discipline in which all true believers have participated, then you're illegitimate children and not sons. Either way, true sheep will regularly and consistently know that he knows them and sees them as his own. It's by the sweetness of our fellowship with him when we're walking with him. It's by the hardship of the discipline and correction that come from him. Every time, as a follower of Jesus, if you genuinely belong to him, you step out of the way, he comes to find you. His correction is not enjoyable. His discipline is not enjoyable. Is, is not enjoyable. But I will tell you the fact that he comes to find you in the middle of your sin is one of the greatest confirmations that you are his. And he comes to you and he says, my daughter, what are you doing? He comes to you and he says, my son, why are you here? He comes to you and and he says, "I, I didn't die for you to live this way. I didn't give my life for you to give your life away in this way. He comes to you and he says, like any good parent does, I cannot let you keep living this way. And as we learned in our first criterion, a true follower of Jesus always does come back. So whether it's by the sweetness of our fellowship with him or by the hardness of his discipline, true believers know that he knows them and that he owns them. Do you? The third criterion or evidence of true sheep with saving faith is this. Jesus says, my sheep follow me. My sheep follow me. True sheep are called and then hear the call regularly and continue in a relationship and fellowship with Christ, answering his call, living in his word. True sheep know that they're known, they're regularly and continually in a mutual dynamic relationship with Christ. But finally, Jesus shows us the true sheep with saving faith are proven by the way they regularly and continually follow him. True sheep live their lives continually and regularly heeding and learning from him. And it's in this way that their relationship with him changes them. It changes their direction. It changes their ambition. It changes their affections. It changes their actions. True sheep, if you will, take their life's cues from Christ. You know you're you're born again. You know you've come to faith in Christ when you are more like Christ today than you were in 2022. And you were more like Christ in 2022 than you were on the day you first believed there is because of this habit and practice of hearing his word, staying in close relationship with him and then obeying him that he molds and shapes us, takes our aspirations and makes them his aspirations, takes our ambitions, makes them his ambitions and sets our lives on a fresh new direction again and again and again and again. And the upshot of all of that is That we become more and more like Him. We look more and more like Christ. A third great proof that we belong to Him is that we look like Him. Not a little bit for a little time, but more and more over time. That we regularly and consistently. Reflect the image of Christ. Not pers- not perfectly, but persistently in and with our lives. Now, perhaps the word test is a bit risky here. It is biblically used, but The idea here is not for us to test each other so much as to test ourselves first. And it's important to ask using Jesus' standards for his sheep. Have I come to a saving faith in Jesus? Can I say legitimately I am his and he is mine? Let me offer some questions to you that you could and should put to yourself today. I want to challenge you today to consider whether you continually and regularly hear His voice. Do you find that the Holy Spirit is at work in you, leading you to hear and heed Christ's will as expressed in His Word over your own will? Do you find that there's a regular pattern of your saying no to yourself and yes to Christ in response to hearing His voice? Do you have a record of continuing to believe and receive sound teaching? Do you accept the central doctrines of the faith? Do you accept the central teachings of the faith? Do you delight in God's word? Do you continue to believe it fully? Or do you tend to challenge it where you disagree with it? When you hear something from the word of God that doesn't sat well with you, do you find yourself resisting it, challenging it, denying it? Those who do and do so persistently, who will take part of the Scripture but not all of the Scripture, who pick and choose from the Scripture what they like and what they don't like, show they aren't of God. They don't belong and they don't really believe because they're selective in hearing His voice. Second, consider whether you continually and regularly know that He knows you. Are you depending on Christ's merits as your all-sufficient Savior today and not just a decade ago? Do you have a continuing relationship with him? Are you consistently found abiding, remaining in him, doing life with him? Do you have regular fellowship with him day in and day out? Or is this the only day you think about him? Is this the only day you hear his voice? Do you have an ongoing, present trust in Christ for salvation? Do you have a stable, steadfast hope in the gospel that you've heard? Do you have confidence in Christ today that he knows you and owns you, that he is with you when times are good and when times are not so good? Third, consider whether you continually and regularly follow him and are becoming like him. Do you have and show a life of obedience to God's commands? Do you have a long-term pattern of obedience and growth in your Christian life? Can you see places where the Holy Spirit is at work in you, producing the character of Christ, what Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit? Do you see love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control emerging more and more in your life, not perfectly, but persistently? John says... In his first epistle, in 1 John 2, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may be sure that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which Jesus walked. The results of such questions should assure you as a genuine believer, even, even if they reveal shortcomings and places where growth and focus are needed, there can be so much comfort here. When you see these things, when you see evidence in your life of having heard the voice of God, of heeding the voice of God, when you see evidence in your life and you can walk through tough times and great times and, and say to yourself and mean it, I am his and he is mine. When you are living your life, you can look at your life in the present and compare it, can compare it to the past and you can see progress that you've made. Oh, no, 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 no. You're not where you know you should be you know probably you're not where you could be, but you know you are in a place that only God could have brought you to. If that is you, rejoice. You're part of his flock. He is your good shepherd. And you have one who is committed to you, to lead you, feed you, guard you, guide you, and he will never fail you. You may be faithless, but he is determined he will remain faithful. Does he know you? If he does, rejoice. Your name is written in the book of life, your destiny is settled. Your life is secure. Kept in the palm of his hand. (laughs) Father God, I thank you, I bless you that we can know and we can be sure. I thank you, Father, that Your word encourages us to test ourselves so that true sheep can be comforted and strengthened and encouraged to press on in Christ. But your word also calls for this test, Father God, so that those who are not, Might ask the hard questions. Lord, I want to pray right here and now for every person in this room whose hearts are disturbed. Lord, there very well may be men and women, students whose entire relationship with you has revolved around something they did years ago, walking an aisle, raising a hand, praying a prayer. Maybe, Lord God, they've they've come from generations of believers and somehow it feels as if they've snuck into the flock. And the truth is there's no sneaking in. The salvation is by your grace through faith not by lineage, not by the faith of a parent or a grandparent, it comes by your grace through faith in Christ and his finished work on the cross, Father God. A plea with you would you grant those whose dependence is on something other than Christ and his cross. I pray, Father, that today would be the day that you would give them ears to hear the voice of Jesus, eyes to see his cross as being not just for sinners, but for them I ask Lord God that today they would create, raise up in them a hunger to know that Christ knows them and Christ owns them just as they are. I pray, Father, that the lack of steady obedience over time would become a burden that they can no longer bear in a masking God that you would grant them the faith to bring it to the cross of Christ and lay all of their sin there and receive from him forgiveness pardon and new life do it Lord for the sake of your glory Do it, Lord, for their eternal good. For every person who is troubled of spirit, Lord God, let the trouble grow and then grant them faith to, come to faith to come to Christ. For every person in this room who is untouched by anything they've heard, how I pray, Lord God, that you would break through the unbelief the disregard of so great a salvation oh Father do the impossible and save them is my prayer grant to them the gift of new life in Jesus I ask this in Jesus name Amen. 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 So, we're going to close in just a moment. And um, I want to say a word to every person whose heart is disquieted. You're not really sure that he knows that he owns you. I wanna plead with you for the sake of your destiny and your eternity. If today you've heard the voice of Christ, if today you would trust him with your life, meet me, meet one of our pastors in the lobby, in the foyer here. Nothing like knowing Him personally, walking with Him, resting in Him, trusting Him. There is simply no one like Jesus. No better shepherd, no better flock to be a part of than His. Thanks for joining me today. If you enjoy these podcasts, take a moment to rate and review CG Life with Steve Kortz. My prayer is that God will continue to inspire and challenge you in Christ as week by week we apply the gospel faith to real life.